0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris-style podcast family. They might not
0: be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Family Feud podcast. I'm Shotgun Spratling here with cousin of the pod, Chris Tervino and Keely. Oh, wait. No Keely. No Keely. Y- you know what that means, Chris? Helium, Helium Boys. Boys. And Chris, please explain the Helium Boys to our
2: faithful listeners out there. Yeah, you've probably heard us heard me mention Helium Boys multiple times on this podcast without any real context. So here's the context. Helium Boys started when we would do like those Zoom Zoom podcasts back before we could be in person and Keely would be late a lot of the times to our our zoom podcast some one time she left us there for like 30 minutes legitimately <laughs> so we would just talk we would just have conversations felt like a podcast and i just made the joke that we're gonna call it the helium boys because we gas each other up like a balloon in the helium whatever so gassing each other back up and forth balloons they float up we bring each other up we bring each other higher that's kind of what it that's kind of the origin of it.
1: We're rising to the sky like the old man and
2: up. There it is. There it is. Now now I feel sad. <laughs> Why would you just remind me?
1: We're skipping to the part where the house is rising. We're skipping the opening montage. Come on.
2: First three minutes in, it's like what's so devastating. It's just...
1: so devastating. Which, again, we could talk about movies on this podcast because Keely's not here who's never seen a movie.
2: I feel like this is the moment we're either going to really appreciate what Keely does every day behind the behind that little workboard that little soundboard you're doing right now or it's just gonna be like that was super easy maybe <laughs> we should just branch off There's only two ways this thing is gonna go we're either gonna really appreciate her moving forward and be nicer to her or it's just gonna be a whole lot worse we're just gonna be like we can do this we did it we did it without you
1: i don't know if we'll ever be nicer to her come on she'll get too big of a head can't do it i uh, gotta gotta keep her grounded. But this is still the Family Feud podcast, even though this is a Helium Boys episode. Uh, It's part of the Peristyle Podcast family. As a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. Leave us a five-star review. Tell us how much you like us, tell us how much you like the Helium Boys podcast, share it with your friends, let everyone know. You can also email us questions, submissions, your thoughts, random thoughts that you have to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. You can tweet or DM or email me your questions if you make sure to note that it's for the Family Feud podcast, and we'll try to answer as many as we can on the upcoming episodes. But Chris, let's jump into this off-season Family Feud slash Helium Boys episode. USC football, spring camp is done. But the gears keep churning, keep churning, and we got to talk about the transfer portal because the transfer portal giveth and the transfer portal taketh. USC making some more moves; the roster continues to morph and switch a little bit. You lose Stephen Carr; he enters the transfer portal. Great job by Keely Ur on that one, breaking the story there.
2: Props to her; she got that. She yep, got definitely, definitely there. there.
1: Uh, and you know, he—it's official as of on Thursday. That he will be, he has signed with Indiana. He is joining Dylan McCullough, reuniting with him there. And USC also picks up a transfer in safety, Chris Thompson, coming from Auburn. Another Texas product is coming west to USC. You might as well just call it the West Texas Trojans right now. I don't even know why they're calling it USC anymore. It just seems like there's so many guys. What what have you, been your takes on the transfer portal overall? As you've just done a you know a transfer impact rating for going into this uh, this offseason what have you thought about the transfer portal and how USC's kind of attacked it this year
2: yeah as we've talked about USC has done a really good job building this transfer class and they've had some departures as well you know Munir McLean, we talked about him I think our last podcast he's gone Caleb Tremblay was another departure and now Stephen Carr added added him to that list and I'm not surprised just because when I was looking at some of the major offseason questions one would be how many more Trojans are we going to see jump into the portal? And usually a lot of that happens, you know, right after the season or right after spring camp. Cause then you kind of get a, a sense of an idea where you stand with the team going to spring. Then after spring, you can kind of reevaluate your options. And, you know, we had been hearing about Steven for a couple months, even, you know, before spring camp that maybe he was thinking about making that move. This was right after Keonta Ingram had had joined the program And, you know, that was kind of an interesting look just because you already had Steven Carr coming back. You had Vavai Malapaya. You had two veterans. And then you're adding a high caliber, starting caliber running back in Keonta Ingram. So, obviously, that was going to ruffle some feathers in that room. That was going to shake things up. And I think as we saw throughout spring camp, it really seemed like Vavai and Keonta were kind of emerging in those those top two spots. Steven had some moments. You know, I think he had a really good spring game. Mm -hmm. But... I just think those two were just a little bit more in spring camp and then Steven obviously got hurt going into the end of camp so he didn't get as much time there at the end. But I'm not really surprised that that move happened. I think I think at least one of those guys was going to move on. I don't think Keontae was going to move on. I think it was going to be one of Avai or Steven were going to see their way out or they were going to stick around, but I didn't really see that cuz they have that one more year. And I think that's a really good landing spot for him, Indiana, you know, reunited with Dylan, who very well respected was one of those rare home-run hires that Clay Helton made that no one really knew about. He ended up being uh, incredible. And then went on to the Kansas City Chiefs, did really well there, won a Super Bowl, wants to come back to college because that's where he wants to connect more with players. He's a guy who's always been about a big player guy, so I think he's getting more of that experience working with kids in college as opposed to you know professional grown men.
1: Working with his kid as well. As yes. His son will be at Indiana as well this, this uh, fall.
2: And I think – that shows just kind of the impact that Dylan had in his one season here, especially with, with with Carr, who knows him. He's like, hey, I want to go play for him again. So I think that's a really good landing spot for him. As far as the safety, Chris Thompson, Jr., coming out of Duncanville High School, coming out of Auburn, I think that's a really good pickup. Just because I'm not convinced with the safety depth right now, you know, you lost a big guy in Max Williams this spring. That's a devastating blow. And I think picking up Chris... Thompson was a reaction to that. I think you need more depth there. You're coming. You're getting Greg Johnson back, but he's coming off a knee injury, and you want to be a little bit cautious with that, and I think he's really going to help solidify that depth and maybe even play the role that Max played, maybe being that, you know, that co-starter kind of role, maybe the guy they bring in with dime packages. Again, we don't really know where he's going to start out, but my guessing is he's going to be getting a look at nickel, and you're bringing in an older guy. He's not like a freshman. He's had one year in college. I mean, he wasn't like a starter or anything, but he's had – He knows what it's like to play in college. He knows what it's like to be a part of a college program. So I think he can come in right away and provide that depth and if down the line, possibly be a starter. I
1: mean, one of the interesting things I thought about Chris Thompson is I'm going through his 24-7 page to kind of look up the recent articles about him. The comparison on his evaluation, TJ McDonald, former USC Trojan if USC could get the production that they got out of TJ McDonald, out of Chris Thompson, I think fans would be very happy about it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where he fits. The competition and that safety, the back seven, just, it, you know, the back seven have been very thin on bodies at cornerback, but the, the, the inside linebackers, Ton of bodies there, ton of competition, ton of competition in that safety room as well. Uh, I think it's gonna be really fascinating to see how this defense continues to morph. I think you're gonna see in the next couple of years, you'll see some transfers out of there because there's so many talented players coming in. And you know, for the tally now for the transfers, it's eight out for USC and seven in. That includes Connor Murphy, Caleb Tremblay, Abdul Malik McLean, Paliya and Chase McGrath going to Tennessee as well. Marquis Step also go on the way out as well with Stephen Carr. But on the way in, you now have multiple receivers. You got Taj Washington. You got KD Nixon. You're bringing in Malcolm Epps as a tight end slash wide receiver. So that could be an interesting one. That's a, a guy we haven't really talked about too much, but it's kind of interesting. Where is he going to fit? That's kind of what we talked about last time we talked about him. Ishmael Sofstra coming in. You're adding Zavion Alford to that safety position. So another safety coming in there. Maybe Does this tell you something about Xavier and Alford that maybe he's not as talented as they thought or that you know he wasn't able to take over that starting spot like they expected? Or is it just let's add continue to add quality depth to the position?
2: I think it's let's just add quality depth. And as we know, they love their Texas boys. <laughs> I love how USC looking at Texas trans reporters like, ooh, we got to get them. And Tennessee is looking at USC trans reporter players like, Ooh, we got to get them. <laughs> This little this little triangle. This and, love triangle. This transport love triangle. And everybody
1: is looking at Tennessee's transfers right. like, "Ooh, we got to get, gotta get them, them because they got some high-end transfers that have ended up in Alabama."
2: I feel like <laughs> the USC coaches just have a beeper on alert every time a, a Texas transfer player like, "We got to get them. Let's go."
1: And and not even just the University of Texas, because you're looking at Taj Washington, you're looking at Katie Nixon, both of those are Texas guys. Chris Thompson, Texas guy. So it really does feel like it's the West Texas Trojans. And it it continues to mount more and more to me that they just value players from Texas more. I don't know if it's just a familiarity and hey, we know them better. We haven't got a chance to get out and scout as much with this new staff. So we we feel like because we've seen these Texas players a little bit more we we can trust the coaches were a little bit more but they value that more right now. Now maybe that changes once they get some kids on campus for camps and stuff in the summer. Maybe it changes when they're able to when the dead period opens up, they're able to get out and actually do some on campus recruiting as far as the high schools and stuff. Maybe that kind of starts to morph a little bit, but right now it definitely is Texas is on a different level. A kid from Texas versus anywhere else right now. Even the local kids that, you know, that USC should be familiar with, they're going out and grabbing up these these transfers, wide receivers, and you got guys like uh, and McMillan, you got CJ Williams, you got some big name wide receivers locally that USC's not, you know, the front runner necessarily locking up the those High end recruits right now—they're going out and getting some guys that have played college ball, which is one part of it, but also that are Texas kids.
2: Yeah, and bringing these guys that were big time recruits out of big high school programs helps them get their foot in the door in those bigger high school programs. I mean, USC is still—I mean, USC and this new staff is still searching for you know those those big ticket Texas recruits. You know, they got a couple here and there, but they're still looking for like a, a Devon Campbell the five-star offensive guard out of Texas, uh, out of Bowie, Texas. They're still looking for those big-name Texas guys. And I think bringing in guys like, you know, Xavion, who was at Shadow Creek, I believe, the name. that's a really good program out there. And then Chris Thompson, he's from Duncanville. That, that's a premier program out there. They put out talent every year. So getting their name, getting guys to get their names in there. And obviously with Texas, it's all about – I mean, it's recruiting is all about relationships everywhere. But recruiting in Texas is especially – about relationships with these high school coaches and these coaches out there in Texas. Texas guys love to recruit Texas guys. That's just how it is. So I'm not surprised that they're, they're focusing on Texas. But I'm going to be interested to see how much, you know, like in the spring when they, when they can go on road trips again, how much time they're going to be dedicated in Texas as opposed to California. Will we be seeing a lot of guys roaming spring practices in California where we are? Or will, will all the action just be in Texas? It's going to be interesting to see how they balance that.
1: And how much does your budget go into that? Because that's one of the things that's, you know, talked about this with Greg Biggins a, a while back about kind of the proliferation of teams coming into to Southern California and stealing some of the top players when USC was down for that 2020 class. He said, you know, Georgia normally wouldn't come over here and recruit because you're talking about the flight and cost and like you have a set budget, but now the budgets are increasing for one across college football. But when teams see that there's an opening, they're going to go and try to cherry pick a little bit, but you're not going to make as many trips unless it's fruitful USC right now I think they're going to spend a lot of money on that flight back and forth uh, to Texas to to go and recruit and that's a very large state to recruit too it's not like you can just fly in and okay we'll hop around this metropolis area and see everyone we want to No, that a lot of kids spread out in a lot of different areas in Texas as well
2: it's not Maine baby you can't just hit the whole the whole the whole city or the whole state baby you gotta go and just bring me back some barbecue I would appreciate it if you brought back some barbecue.
1: So USC right now has 11 players on the current spring roster that are from Texas. Obviously going to be adding some more with these transfers that are coming in, but we'll see if that number continues to rise as the staff is, is here, or if you, you do start to see once things open up and you, you can get out and see some other kids, maybe that plays into it as well. The transfer portal has been a fascinating watch from afar, just seeing how things have progressed. And each time a big name offensive lineman goes in there, uh, there's one earlier today, yesterday, that from, I believe, Marshall was a freshman All American. And I saw it and I was like, that guy's going to be super coveted because even though USC probably is putting out feelers, because even though he's an offensive guard rather than a tackle, offensive linemen are so scarce, high end offensive linemen. Premium,
2: premium top end. There's just hard to get them.
1: I mean, it's very much like NFL free agency. It's the one position where there hasn't been a ton of talent continually cycling through the transfer portal. I feel like other positions, you are seeing that a little bit more. Even at the quarterback position, you're seeing some high-end names go through there, but at the offensive tackle in particular position, you're just not seeing it, so when one does go in – Everyone, even if you've got multiple tackles that you feel comfortable with, everyone's like, oh, let me see if I can get this guy as well. It's been really fascinating to watch. It's very very much like NFL free agency for some particular positions as well. And USC right now, you know, eight in, seven out. So we're seeing that the transfer portal is definitely going to be something, a part of their future, that they're going to be continually attacking. Talked about this a little bit with Brandon Huffman on the last Heard It podcast, but just the fact that, you've seen what they can do against college guys. You don't have to take a flyer and say, okay, let me see if an offensive lineman can gain 30 pounds. You know, Let me see what they look like when they lose 30 pounds in this strength and conditioning program. You see what they look like already a year or two in to a strength and conditioning program in college. So it's much different there just continues to be a fascinating read for me uh, watching the the transfer portal and seeing how teams are attacking it, what teams are doing really well with it. And I would say USC's doing a pretty good job at it. I don't know, what what was your, your overall assessment of where they stand right now? Because you're going to lose some guys, but I think they've done a good job of going out and attacking some needs and some wants as well.
2: Yeah, like you said, it's pretty even. Eight out, seven in, that's a pretty good ratio. And they're getting players that they need they need they needed interior defensive line help they got it they needed safety depth they got it they needed wide receiver depth they've got it i don't know if you could say they needed another running back but they got one they got a good one a really really highly valued one and i think a good sign of that is a little bit of a plug here 24 7 just dropped their top 100 transfer portal rankings you're talking about the transfer portal we got transfer rankings, baby. We're ranking everything. <laughs> Everyone's getting ranked, and five of USC's seven transfers were ranked in the top 100. It was initially the top 50, then they expanded that to the top 100. That they can tell you we're gonna have our own top two, four, seven for transfers <laughs> at some point. But five in the top 100—that's pretty good. Did you get a chance to look at the list? Yes or no?
1: I glanced through it,
2: so you know who's ranked the highest out of USC's crop.
1: Uh, Keontae Ingram.
2: Yes, he is the only one who remained in the top 50. He's number 29, took a little bit of a drop, three-spot drop, but I think that's fair. I think Keontae Ingram is the the gem right now of this class, a former starting caliber running back out of Texas. That's that's a good spot from number 29. And then Alford, Xavier Alford, he was in the top 50, but he fell to number 55 just outside, a little bit of a 12-spot drop. And then Sopcher, he was also in the 50, the initial 50. He fell 11 spots to number 57 but three guys in the top top 60 that's pretty good. Thompson Jr made his debut. He's at number 69 and then Taj Washington, he made his debut debut at number 71. So that gives you our five. That's pretty good if we're looking at the guys who have entered from USC, Palai Niezte Ote, he's number 10. That's a that's a one spot jump from him. He's still shopping around, you know, Texas was thought to be the landing spot. Ohio State now seems to be like the likely landing spot, but he's still swimming around in that portal. Marquis Step, he was number 24 initially. He makes a drop down to number 41. He has since signed up with Nebraska. He had a little bit of an injury, so he missed most of their spring, I believe. And then Stephen Carr, he made his debut at number 39 on that list inside the top 50, which I think is a fair spot for him. So yeah, five guys in the top 100. Do you think that's accurate, that ranking of them? Ingram, Alfred Soppshire, Thompson, Washington. The
1: one guy I'm interested in that I think could be ranked higher, and I don't know because I haven't seen him. Just seeing his stats, seeing you know some highlights. But Taj Washington, he's a very interesting player to me. I'm curious to see what he's going to look like at USC, where they line him up, you know what they can use him, how they try to use him. You know I think he can be used in a couple of different ways. Looking at the wide receivers now, there's been some some notable names from the wide receiver position. Wandell Robinson is the top overall wide receiver coming going from Western Kentucky to Kentucky, and you know he. He was a dynamic offensive weapon, punt returner as well. But the second name on the wide receiver list, you might you might notice this one, you might recognize this one, Puka Nakua, former USC commit, all the way up at number fourteen overall. He hasn't really done anything in college, which is interesting in the rankings that. You know how they decided, and I don't know exactly how they went about this process, but you know how much do you factor what they did in high school? How much do you factor what they've done so far in college? Taj Washington is a guy who has had success already in college. Now he's going to make a big jump up from the AAC to to the Pac-12. But you know Puka Nakua hasn't done anything. Taj Washington had. How you kind of factor those? You know, I thought there was some there were some other familiar names on there. You know, Zach Charbonnet, a guy from local Oaks Christian that UCLA picked up, number sixteen overall. So it, it was kind of interesting just to look at the the rankings and say, you know, I recognize a lot of these names. And for Palier and Iteote to be as high as he is when he has struggled in his career. Now I still think that if he was healthy this past season, he would have taken a big jump forward after a couple of games, just like we saw from Raylan Go Forth and Kanaya Malga. And maybe that's exactly what, you know, the guys that are ranking these see from him. But I just thought it was interesting. Some of the guys that are high, some of the guys that are low, you know, some of them have produced already in college, some of them haven't. And, you know, how do you kind of factor that into the rankings? Not exactly sure how they went about it, but it, it is definitely interesting. And I do think that Keontae Ingram is definitely USC's top transfer. He's got a couple years left of eligibility. And I think that's positive for them because he and Vavai Malapei are not in the same class like Vi and Stephen Carr were. So I think if you're just looking at it as a straight trade right there, I think that's a positive for USC just to break up the two classes there. I think they have similar type of games, Keontae Ingram and Stephen Carr, as far as they can catch the ball in the backfield, they can break some tackles, make some guys miss. But I think Ingram definitely showed out and was the better performer there. I think Stephen Carr definitely upgraded, though, because he's going to go to Indiana, and you, you think about it, Dylan McCullough can, comes in there. He's a first year running backs coach there, so he doesn't have any experience, any knowledge of the guys that are already there. But now, Stephen Carr, he does have knowledge of. So, you know, if he ends up being the one that has the ultimate say in how much playing time or who starts. I think that Stephen Carr has an advantage there versus the guys that are already on the roster at Indiana. So I think it's a great landing spot for him. He has a comfortability with Dylan already. So I think that he's going to feel comfortable. He knows the the language already, so he knows what Dylan's looking for. All those things that can give him an advantage. I think it's a perfect landing spot for him. And you go from you're already gonna be in a competition with three or four other guys, so why not go somewhere else where you're gonna be in the competition and, and that's what he's gonna do. So I'll be, you know, up early on Saturday mornings, you know, watching some Big Ten network, you know, watching some football to see Indiana and what they're doing to see Steven Carr and how how he's playing there. Similar to how we were watching Illinois for a couple of years, watching the Amara Bay brothers, Trayvon Sydney, Olawala Batiku, you know, all the all the USC transfers that that. Ended Up with Lovey Smith and his crew there, so it's going to be interesting to see how the transfer portal continues to develop, especially now with the one-time transfer rule. You know, everyone can go and not sit out, so you're going to see a lot of impact transfers, even more so now. I think the 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 transfer portal is having a big impact, and it's going to be interesting to see how it continues to
2: to change and morph as we go. We have a Stephen Carr question later in our fan like mailbag, so we'll get back to him, but. I would love to watch like a web series of just Stephen Carr, this SoCal kid experiencing Indiana for the first time. <laughs> I just want to i just want watch it. They don't have to be long. They could be like f- five, ten minutes. I just want little snippets of his life in Indiana.
1: So an interesting thing, I, I went out and interviewed Trayvon Sidney and Olawale Batiku and Josh Morabebe the last time that USC played, I think at Notre Dame, um, and – it was interesting talking to them about making that move. Wole in particular is not a fan of the cold, and he he was like that was the worst thing ever. Is when winter arrived there, and you know the leaves are gone, and suddenly there's snow outside. It's no joke. It's no joke. Um, Joshua Morabebe is from Georgia. Trayvon Sydney from SoCal as well. They both said that you know I don't have to go to a ton of classes. This was pre-pandemic because I'm a grad student so I do a lot of things online they're like I just try to stay bundled up as much as possible and not go out and do anything they're really just focusing on their craft so I, I'm curious to see if that that's the same thing for Stephen Carr is you you make it it's kind of a business decision when you transfer rather than the recruiting process early coming out of high school so how do you go about settling in is it just a business decision you're going and you're working your 9 to 5 as far as your your football work and your homework and then you know instead of Stephen Carr going out and bobsledding or anything in Indiana when it gets cold.
2: See, I want that. I want the <laughs> I want Stephen Carr like a Calvin and Hobbes like toboggan and down the down the down the snow. But I feel like we've talked a lot about transfers, still have more on this podcast. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna let you run with this. I'm just gonna turn the timer on because I know you wanna talk Pac Twelve Commissioner. I know you wanna talk about the end of the Larry Scott era and the new new Old busted, new hotness. Old busted, Larry Scott, hot newness. I know you want to talk about it. You brought it up. So I'm just going to start a timer. I'm going to go make some food, and I'm just going to let you go. So Shotgun, I cannot pronounce the name, so I'm going to throw it to you. But you want to talk about the new Pac-12 commissioner.
1: George Kleevkoff.
2: Yeah, well, we'll A&R that in for me. (laughs) You want to talk about George. So I'll let you talk about, George, what were your reactions? I know you have thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, it was, it was another transfer. Transfer of power, potentially back to the Pac-12, because nice. at least if he follows through with what he said in his opening press conference, that's a five-year down the road. We'll see if that actually happened. But at least the early look at what he's going to do is all positive. He answered all the questions and that he knew the answers to. And he said, I don't know the answers to the ones he didn't have. And he said, I'm going to get to work on that. He said, you know, he basically took a page out of the Mike Bone book and maybe USC sent this one up to, to the Pac-12 network in San Francisco, but said, I'm going to go on a listening tour. I'm going to go listen and learn and then we'll try to make you know adjustments. But he talked about all the, the key points that USC fans should be excited about, but all the criticisms of Larry Scott, he basically did the exact opposite. Oh, the college football playoff. Yeah, I think it needs to be expanded. Oh, the TV deal. Yeah, we we got to do work on it. You know, everything that Larry Scott would him and haw and try to talk around, he was direct with it. He answered the questions, and I think it's definitely headed in the right direction if he follows through with, you know, the way he won the opening press conference. It's an outside the box hire. A guy that's coming from MGM Uh, international, uh, you know, he's worked with the casinos, the entertainment industry, and now he wants to come and and take over. Now he does have some sports background. I think it's an interesting hire, but from the opening press conference, he definitely won that. And hopefully for USC's sake, for the Pac-12's sake, and for college football as a whole, college sports as a whole, he follows through with it because the landscape is much better when there's actually a power conference in the West and it's not just once you get past Texas, then there's no more United States as far as college athletics, except for those sports that only the West Coast plays in water polo and beach volleyball. So I think it's really important for the Pac 12 to be strong, to be the conference of champions, but be champions in actual team sports that everyone cares about, the moneymaker sports. You know, he was asked what's the greatest strength, what's the greatest fault of the conference right now as you're coming in? He said the greatest strength, we have these great universities, blah, 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 good answer, whatever. He said the greatest fault is the biggest weakness is the last time they won a a national championship in football or basketball is eons ago, basically now. Especially with the uh, attention span and and how quickly things cycle through, the Pac-12 has been not relevant for the better part of a decade now. Since USC, since Pete Carroll left USC, the Pac-12 has had blips, Chip Kelly, Washington getting there under Chris Peterson, getting to the college football playoff, but then you know getting beat up pretty good. But they haven't had no consistency, so I think that's a, a huge thing for them. I think the Pac-12 started to turn a corner in the basketball side, potentially, with the three teams in the Elite Eight and how well they did to get a little bit more recognition, to, to get a little bit more notoriety, and hopefully, you know, Kleevkov comes in and continues that, not only in, in basketball, but definitely in football and in women's sports and, and in everything else, you know, going forward. I thought USC made a really good hire for women's basketball. And I think it just followed through the Pac twelve, just followed suit right behind it with a with a good Pac 12 commissioner hire. So some positive notes in the offseason for USC fans and for Pac 12 fans in general.
2: Out, I had the timer running legitimately three minutes and 36 seconds. Can All I ask right. what your first reaction was when you heard this person's name that I'm sure you had no idea? Can you tell me what exactly, your first
1: That was exactly it. Who? Who is why is this not Oliver Luck? That was that was, that kind was of my your first, first thing. Like, first why is this not
2: Oliver Luck? Look, you've already said everything. I don't really need to add on this. It felt like, like you know, a program gets a new coach, like an embattled program, they mm-hmm. get a new fresh start. It's hard to lose the opening press conference because you just got to say the right things. You got to say what you got to say what the fans have been wanting, and he said everything the fans have been wanting. The the Pac twelve fans you that know. isn't
1: always the case though. Right,
2: right. It's not a gimme, but it's really hard <laughs> when you, you had a coach that you just don't want anymore, and you get a new one. It's like a fresh new toy. It's really hard to mess up that the opening press conference, and he did a slam dunk. But I just want to say the biggest upgrade for me is the name. We're just upgrading the name. You're going from <laughs> from Larry Scott, which is like. A legitimate, just like a pen salesman name, like just a boring <laughs> pen salesman name, drives a a Mitsubishi, whatever. No one cares. To J- George Klievkov. Klievkov. I believe that's how you pronounce. That's a badass name. That's like legitimate, like bad guy, villain, John Wick name. I that's mean, like a Russian mafia name, and like you don't want to do business. You get you better come to the to the table, correct?
1: Oh, get him on the college football playoff committee. And then, like, he just, like, gives you that look, and he's, like... Just the stare. He starts speaking in Russian a little bit.
2: He just needs a little bit of Russian Certainly
1: accent. Suddenly, a Pac-12 team gets into the college football playoff. It's amazing how that works.
2: You don't want my Pac-12 team? <laughs> why you don't no want the Pac-12 team? You have two SEC teams. Why not a Pac-12 team? I only ask for one. I only ask for one. You give them two. I just want one. Maybe we visit your mother. Maybe she 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 will tell you that there should be one Pac-Twelve team. It's not fair. Very See? good. Very chills. good. Chills, chills. I just watched a movie. I watched Golf Nobody Park. last night. There was a Russian mob boss as the enemy. So I got Russian in my brain right now. So yes, that's all I'm gonna say about that. The name, great name. Yeah. I'm just basing it off the name. I like I like where we're headed. Won the press conference. We'll see where
1: they go from here. I think the Pac-12 Network is a big step there. How do they attack that one? How do they attack the you know the rights deals that are upcoming? Are they trying to get out of the the current deals? They're trying to renegotiate earlier. There's a lot of question marks still. Definitely, but early reviews positive positive notes there. So hopefully you can continue on that because like I said, I, I think the college sports and college athletics is much better when it's a national event rather than just an east coast event
2: shotgun ready to play a game Ooh, a game ready to play a little game i call over under
1: keely never lets us play games so no it's
2: always like stick to the script i've pitched i've tried to pitch games i've tried to pitch like game show like games not fully formed ideas to be fair (laughs) but i still have have thoughts of doing like a game show type game for an episode of the podcast and we have the time now. It's the off season. We need things to talk about. But since and, she's and not even here, when
1: you come up with a great segment, she makes you go all corporate.
2: Yeah, what's up with that? No. What's up with that? I'm not seeing any of that money in. I'm not <laughs> seeing any of those corporate dollars in my pocket. I'm not seeing a new Tesla in my driveway. I don't even have a driveway. I just know that a lot of people
1: have told me that they are very interested in your your Twitter product to change old tweets so that you can jump on the bandwagon.
2: Yeah, the bandwagon blocker, I believe it's what it's called. Mm-hmm. There's been so many, but yeah. some I, Someone's going to really, like, somebody smarter than me is, is going to listen to this and, like, actually make some of these things that I've, like, <laughs> come up with. And they're going to make a billion dollars off it. And I'm going to be so bitter and old. And I'm going to die penniless. But besides that, this little game, Over Under, I got a bunch of Over Under numbers that I want to throw at you for, like, 2021 season. So example like Keenan Slovis over under blank number of passing yards. And you just got to okay. go on the spot. You got to tell me is it going to be over or under which kind of like projecting stats right now. And I please don't go super long on each.
1: I will try. I got to put
2: I got to put the Keeley hat on. Please don't try to go <laughs> three minutes on each one because there's a lot of them. There's just like quick little you got to give me just give me your your rationale for why you're going over or under.
1: OK.
2: Um. So I got some offensive ones. I got some defensive ones. And I got some team ones. Where do you want to start?
1: Let's start with offense, obviously. Okay. I, was, I was a wide receiver, so we got to start with okay,
2: offense. Okay, fair enough. Keenan Slovis. Let's start with Keenan Slovis entering year three. Maybe a first-round draft pick. Over under 3,700 yards in 2021.
1: Ooh, that's, a, that's a really tough one. Chris, see, this is why you're good at this. You always come up with really tough either-ors. And why is that a really tough one? Because he threw for 3,500 yards in basically 10 games as a freshman. So he should be right over that. He's like, right, yeah, no, no problem. Especially if the offense takes that second year jump that we were expecting last year that never happened. But he has to stay healthy to be able to do that. He's so stay healthy. I'm actually going to take the under on this. Ooh, okay. I'm, just, okay. I'm still not
2: sold on that offense line. But I made you think about it, which is good because I think you could very easily go over this.
1: Yeah, if he stays healthy, if I if I get a caveat, then yeah, I would go over. Okay. I think the production will be there when he's healthy.
2: Over under 30 G passing touchdowns.
1: This is the same thing, so I'm going to have to go under on this. I think it's I think 3732 kind of fit in, you know, especially looking comparing to that freshman year it was 3530 and like I said he played basically 10 and a half games, I guess, cuz he played half of the Fresno State game, but didn't play play two snaps of the Utah game. So he played in 12 games, but only really played 10 and a half.
2: Moving on, Drake London. I'm really high on Drake for 2021. I think you're in the same boat. But let's go over under 1,100 receiving yards. This will be his first 1,000-yard season. Does he get it done? Going a little Michael Pittman-ish numbers here. I believe Pittman had around 1,200. But I'm going to go 1,100 right now. I mean, getting to 1,000 is tough. Yep. So I'm going to go under. Ooh, okay.
1: I, I think he's going to be between 1,000 and 1,100. Um, and I could be completely wrong about this. I mean, it depends on how much they spread the ball out. With the fact that he's the returning weapon, but he is moving outside, I've changed my mind now. I've talked myself into going <laughs> over. Uh, because he's the the primary weapon there, I, I think that he will get, get above that. I don't know that he gets up to Pittman's numbers, the Bolitnikov finalist. He was, what, 1,275 yeah. yards. Um, so I don't think he gets up there. But maybe he's in between where Amon Ra was, where Amon Ra was over 1,000 that year in 2019, and Pittman was nearly 1,300.
2: I need a name for that when you disagree but then talk <laughs> yourself into it. If anyone has a name for that, I want it to be like a simple word. See, oh, Shotgun just did a whatever. See, that,
1: that should that's... tell you that like this is not all like, pre-organized, like, oh, take the over on this one under on this one. No, I, I, I'm talking my way through them.
2: Got to do his touchdowns, so over under 10, double digits.
1: What did he have last year? Three. He had three last year. Which is
2: surprising. I feel like he had more. I feel like he had like five or six, but no, three. I'm going to go under. Okay, you think he's going to get like eight or nine?
1: Yeah, because I don't know. They will have to use him in the red zone as a weapon on the outside and throw the ball up there and let him go with that jump ball, which is something they haven't done. and Maybe that with the fact that he's practicing more outside, you can do that. That's where you get a lot of touchdowns as a wide receiver. I mean, look at Amon Ross St. Brown's touchdowns. You know, those four in the game in the first quarter against Washington State, I believe three of them were within 20 yards. You know, so – and two of them at least were – at least I think two of them were slot fades. So that's something he could could catch, you know, where you're going up over a defender, you beat him by one step and then use his big body. If they move him and put him in the right places, they could. But I still – haven't seen that yet. Where we're trying to get this guy the ball. Every once in a while, Amon Ross St. Brown, that Washington State game, they were definitely trying to get he hadn't had not had not scored yet. We had a discussion about whether uh Eric Romanhook or Amon Ross St. Brown would finish with more touchdowns. Oof. I, I didn't win that one. Big oof. Um, but <laughs> they purposely wanted to get Amon Ross St. Brown in the end zone that game. Are they going to do that with someone like Drake London, or is it Let's run the offense and wherever the grass is green, that's what we'll do. He's such a mismatch problem that he is the type of guy that if you attack mismatches, he's gonna perform that much better.
2: Let's keep the mis- mismatch going. Michael Trigg, highly valued freshman people are excited about, you know, being pitched for that Drake London role on the inside over under 3.5 touchdowns. I'm gonna go under. Okay.
1: Just because I don't trust freshmen, even highly touted freshmen, until I know that they're going to play and okay. play a significant amount. Okay. Because there's just so often where you know a guy like Brew McCoy comes in and you think, okay, he's going to immediately get in there and immediately make plays because we've seen how good he is in high school, and then it just doesn't translate that first year. So I'm going to wait until I see him on the field, you know, making plays consistently before I, I think that he's going to get over. Any significant stats.
2: London had five his freshman year. Just want to throw that out. That's why I was throwing it out there trying to bait you in there. Just want to see what you would do. Bit interesting. But if Michael Trigg is dominating in the summer. If if
1: London wasn't here, you would think then I think the path is much greater, but okay. I still think there's a possibility that you move London back inside because you've seen the success there, whatever it may be. Yeah, you, you know, Brew McCoy, Kyle Ford is, you know, has been cleared, which is great news to be a full participant those guys step up and now they're the outside guys. You move London back inside or you're using them kind of in and out and Trig just doesn't get those opportunities. Whereas with, if London wasn't there, you see, Oh, there's a big pathway for Trig to step in. I think right now he's the tight end rather than that inside slot receiver that you want to use a big body. And I don't know if he's ready to be a blocker
2: yet. Okay. All fair. Keontae Ingram over under a thousand all purpose yards did it 2 years ago at Texas This comes down to Mike Jinks
1: <laughs> Do we trust Mike Jinks's word that we're going to have a bell cow running back and we'll find a second guy that will relieve him every once in a while are you going to continue to mix it up and have 3 or 4 guys that get, you know, 50 or 60 carries in a season rather than one guy getting 150 If he gets 150 then yeah, he can go over a thousand, but I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to go under just because all the offensive staff, I'm going to throw my jinx in with the rest of the offensive staff that says, yeah, we're going to do this. And then we're like, when, when, when is that going to happen? When are we going to rotate receivers frequently? When we're going to, you know, switch the offensive lineup consistently. When like, and Graham harold has, has said similar things. It's like, when are you going to do these things? They tell us that they're going to do certain things and make some different switches and rotations and we don't see them. So I'm going to go off what we have seen and what we, you know, I'll trust what I've seen with my own eyes rather than what they're telling us will happen. Okay.
2: Last offensive one. Not that it's offensive, but it's on the offense. Oh, okay. Okay. Over under 2.5 touchdowns for Jackson dart.
1: I'm going to go over. Okay. And this goes back to my Slovis answers. Slovis stays healthy, then obviously no, he's not getting there. I don't think there's some special package, red zone package for Jackson Dart or anything. You could do that if you really wanted to. You know, even when you have an established guy, Jake Fromm and Justin Fields, you wanted to put in special things to get a, a talented freshman opportunities. That's not really been the case with Clay Helton. There was the Sam Darnold package early in the Max Brown starting year. But he was a redshirt freshman. He'd been on campus for a year. I don't know that they're going to do that. I just don't feel like that's been something that they've wanted to do. And the way that Clay Helton talks about quarterbacks being a former quarterback, like, you don't want your quarterback looking over his shoulder. Or, you know, we're not going to split reps. You know, all these type of things. I don't think that if Keaton Slova stays healthy, he'll get there. But I don't think that Keaton Slova stays healthy with this offensive line. So I'm going to go over.
2: I was thinking more like just garbage time.
1: What but you win, you win
2: full conspiracy theory. There's gonna be a garbage time game. When, I say that now and I'm gonna hate myself for saying that right now. But when don't has clip there that. been don't clip that
1: when has there been? That's the thing like again, it goes back to track record. You're like, okay, this offense scores over thirty points a game. The defense was really good last year. There should be, you know, garbage time, but they let teams linger around way too much. So, you know, outside that Washington State game. Last year, there there hasn't been many opportunities for those second and third string guys to get in there and get opportunities. And you have to get up a good amount early for a quarterback to then throw the ball and score, unless you're you're counting on him doing some read options down by by the goal line to score his touchdowns. Which you could, talented enough.
2: Let's move into the defense. Defense. <laughs> oh, I thought we we're gonna go one more. You can't just do one chant. Over under 3.5 picks for Chris Steele, who declared, you know, kind of want to have a big season for jumping to the draft. So putting you on the spot for him, over under 3.5 picks.
1: How many does he have in his career?
2: One. He had one last year. Talanoa led the team last year with four.
1: Again, really good number by you, Chris. Putting it kind of right on the spot. That's where I would see him at, somewhere in that range. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be confident in him. I'm gonna say he goes over.
2: Picks are so hard to gesture, like yeah,
1: because you can have the the tip picks and stuff right. where you know the, the the cornerback doesn't necessarily do anything, and cornerbacks are, are that much more difficult because if they're on an island now, Todd Orlando put his guys on islands a lot, so you know I think the teams will try to throw with. The you know blitz packages and stuff that that USC uses, he'll get some opportunities.
2: I'm gonna go over. I'm gonna trust that, that he can do it. Okay, okay. Let's get a little linebacker action here. Can I Mauga over under 85.5 tackles? Hmm. Had 41
1: in six games last year. Basically, that was, that was
2: basically five, five games. games. Yeah,
1: he didn't really play in the first one. So. The other question there becomes, who is taking tackles if he doesn't get to it? You know, Talanoa Hufunga had a good number of tackles this past season.
2: 62.
1: Yeah, a good number of tackles this past season. Are you trusting a safety to come down in the box more? Do you need those linebackers to make more plays? I'm going to go over. I think he's going to be the leading tackler among the linebackers. Will that be the leading tackler on the team? That's hard to say. And I think one of those, you know, Isaiah Polamow or somebody, depending on how they use them, you know, one of those safeties that fills that Talanoa role, if they try to use that as the role, you know, a guy that used down in the box a little bit more, then I think they could finish with the most.
2: Yeah, I would probably take the over- I just feel like Malga's going to have a good season. I think he's going to be close to that 90 mark.
1: And I feel like he is more entrenched in his spot than Raylan Goforth if one of those mm-hmm. other guys comes back. Jordan Iosefa, Solomon Tuli Alapupu, Elijah Winston. If some of those guys come back and start getting rotated in a little bit more, that I feel like Mauga has proven himself a little bit more over his career. So, And he's
2: proven to have some of those like monster games. He's had a couple monster games. When he plays when, Utah. <laughs> when he goes off. Let's move to the defensive line. Over under 10 and a half sacks for Drake Jackson. Big. That's a big number. That's a big number. I'm just saying top five prospect, potential prospect for the 2020 NFL draft, Gil Brandt, putting it out there. A lot of first round action. I think 10 and a half sacks has put you in that first round discussion fairly fairly well. So shotgun, 10 and a half sacks, Drake Jackson, full season at this Outside linebacker hybrid spot. I'm trying to stall for you because I see you <laughs> frantically googling. Only had two last year. I think 5.5 the year before in limited time when he got injured.
1: So the one thing this is what I was looking up. Um, I was looking up Chase Young's numbers. Interesting, interesting. So Chase Young, his sophomore season had 10 and a half sacks. Right on the mark there. And then his big season where he was in the Heisman contention for a little bit was sixteen and a half sacks. All right,
2: we're not going that far.
1: No, but I think that I think that that's an interesting track record to look at. Maybe he's a year behind where Chase Young is. If he wants to be a top five pick, this is the year where he needs to break out. And so I'm gonna go with over Oh, okay. I think he's gonna be right on. But it this comes down to this is the difference between him and Chase Young. Ohio State has produced pass rusher after pass rusher after pass rusher, and everyone is getting to the quarterback. Sacks are so much about not just beating your man, but someone else beating you. You have to have two guys beat their man most of the time because occasionally you can, from the blind side, you just whip an offensive tackle, you whip the left tackle, and the quarterback doesn't see you coming. Otherwise, the quarterback steps up in the pocket as you're speed rushing around the outside, or he shuffle steps outside the pocket while you, when you go inside. So you need that second person there. And I think that USC can do that with Nick Figueroa, done a tremendous job of getting to the quarterback. Corey Foreman coming in, how much of an impact can he make immediately? I'm sure there's an over-under in there about him coming up. You know um, me, you know me. If they can reel in JT low out. You know, and Brandon Huffman talking to him on the Hurt It podcast. Plug. If you you haven't listened to that one, you definitely should. It's a really good listen. Really fun. Uh, chat with him always. But some really interesting stuff in there, I thought. I don't know. You,
2: Look, he's plugged the sh- he's plugged it like three times already. Go listen to it. It's, it's great. Twice. Go. There's going to be a third one. <laughs> oh, listen, okay. There's going to be a third one by the end when we get to our mailbag question. I guarantee it. And put some respect on Tuli Tui Peloto. Yeah, he, definitely. He could be a dynamic pass rusher, too, in his second year. He showed some stuff. True freshman year, this year, I expect big things from him coming off that edge. So a lot of pass rushing. And then Hunter Eccles can help you out too if they move around like they did in 2020. There's options.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take other guys being able to get back there as well. It can't just be Drake Jackson because then if he's the only guy that is doing anything, double teams. Yeah, Maybe even triple teams. You know, that's how you shut down an elite pass rusher is you add you know the tight end chips on you now the running back is coming over to help out and you have a, you know the guard is paying attention out there if they need to come and help out schemes can be really focused to shut down one guy now you may give up something to someone else and that's why it takes a second guy it takes a third guy and when the entire defensive line is attacking and doing well that's when you end up uh, was 2017, 2018, with Uchenna Nawosu, he was a beast coming off the edge. But you had Porter Gustin on the other side who was having success. You had success in the middle with Rasheem Green. So you're getting pressure from all three areas on the defensive line, and now you add in Todd Orlando's blitz packages and stuff. I think that he definitely can. The one thing that may threaten that is that if they're really successful with all those things I just said, Maybe they just get spread out so much that he doesn't get that number. Maybe it's not one guy that gets a bunch, but you have four or five guys that get you know six or seven. Yeah,
2: good point. Speaking of the triple team, I want someone to be so dominant that they have to like make a separate, smaller offensive line off the edge, <laughs> off the butt of the left tackle. Do you think there's something there? I think I revolutionized, like if Chase Young coming off the left tackle, then I make a smaller... Offensive. That's called a
1: a two tight end set where both
2: the tight ends. No, I want five people, (laughs) a second offensive line.
1: Might be revolutionary.
2: Just think about it. Think about it. It
1: feels like you wouldn't have any offensive weapons if you're using a second offense.
2: I don't know, but if it works. Talked about sacks. You mentioned all that great stuff. So let's get into more sacks. Over under 4.5 sacks for Corey Foreman, the number one overall player. Drake
1: had five and a half his freshman year. Is that right?
2: Drake had five and a half, yes.
1: Then I will say over.
2: Oh, okay. That's a big number for a freshman. Not even truly yeah. had had that number, but I'm putting a little more on Corey just because of his stature as a number one overall player.
1: And again, that goes back to all those things we just said. Yeah. You know, if they're having success getting to the, to the quarterback with multiple guys, then someone steps up. I, was, I actually thought Kanai Malga coming in as a freshman. I thought he was a guy that might surprise and get three or four sacks. Because um, he was playing coming off the edge initially. And I just love the way that he was attacking off the edge and beating offensive tackles in his first fall camp. Never really transpired, but that's the kind of thing that you're looking for. You're looking to see our other guys getting there. And it opens up some opportunities because you go. Now, Corey Foreman is a little bit different than Kenai mauga just as far as the name recognition of the freshman that you're getting. You know, the offensive tackle on the other side is like, oh, it's a freshman. I got this. And maybe, you know, gives up. It only takes one. It only takes one one snap to to get beat. So
2: It's a grown man, though.
1: He's a grown man. It's a little bit different. Name recognition, too. Everyone's going to be like, zero.
2: That guy's wearing zero. Zero. Over under 11.5 tackles for a loss for Nick Figueroa. A 2020 breakout. Seven last year.
1: Seven last year in six games.
2: In six games.
1: And I think he's not going to get the attention that's going to stop him, that's going to preclude him from getting to that number again. So I think that he, he's going to get it. I think it's going to be over. And maybe I'm putting a lot on this defensive front.
2: We are. You've taken the over on every one of these. So
1: And part of that is my confidence in the, the progression of the guys under Vixoto. You're seeing that defensive line, the defensive front has been, you know, been the group that I think has grown the most in the last year with this new coaching staff. So uh, I'm putting a lot on, on Vixoto and I'm putting a lot of guy on those guys in the
2: front, but I think that they can do it. Now we're moving to the team ones. Over under 34.5 points per game for the offense. Over. I mean, there were what 33 last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna go over.
1: Okay. <sighs> Now I'm talking myself out of it. Look at gotta, that.
2: He's doing the reverse thing.
1: They don't have Elijah Barrett-Tucker anymore. They don't have Austin Jackson anymore.
2: <laughs> I love how it's so quick. It's like something in your brain is like, no, you idiot. <laughs> Take that back right now.
1: I'm still going to go over. I think that the addition of Clay McGuire, they're going to figure some things out to be able to run the ball better, and then they'll be able to score the ball more consistently than they were last year. If
2: you're just like 15% better in the red zone. True. Like, yeah. <laughs> just 15%.
1: I mean, third and one, fourth and one. If you can just mix it up a little bit and pick up some of those, and then those ones where you're at the thirty yard line, they become a field goal, you know. And the ones that are in the red zone, you know, you get the first down. You end up scoring, you know, that twenty five percent of the time there. You, you definitely you're adding six to eight points a game there. So I think they can
2: over under twenty one point five points per game allowed by the defense. Where were they at last year? Twenty six. That's a big drop. I'm gonna go
1: over that number. Okay. I don't think that they. Maybe they can improve. Maybe they'll be around the same. We'll see the impact of Talano Hufunga. How much of an impact you know not having him makes. How big of a jump can they make in year two? Too many factors. Too many question marks. I guess for me, to make that jump all the way up from twenty six and a half to to twenty one and a half.
2: But you think it's in that window.
1: Possibly. I don't I don't that one's a tough one for me. If you would have said it was it stayed at twenty six and a half, or maybe even put twenty if you put twenty four and a half, that's where I would think that they'll end up, which would have made it very tough whether it'd be an over and under. Okay.
2: I I think I'm I'm just big on this defense for next year, so I'm j i am I was just reflecting that in my uh over under over under twenty five turnovers for the defense.
1: Turnovers are so difficult to
2: (laughs) how many did they have last year? I believe it was like 14.
1: 14. 28. Are they going to
2: get to that? Look, if you're banking on the sacks, I think you're banking on a couple sack fumbles, maybe a couple under duress throws. True. I'm just being devil's advocate. You can do what you want, baby. I'm just. I'm going to go under. 25 is just a really high number. Okay.
1: That's elite defensive status, though. That's elite
2: defensive status.
1: Because that's that's creating more than two turnovers a game.
2: Over under four yards per carry in the run game. Which they haven't <laughs> done since in the last two years.
1: Then I'm gonna stay under. Okay. Just gonna go off track record here. Even though I I think that they there's some positive potential there with Clay McGuire. Maybe switching up some of the things that they do in the short yard situations, which we saw a little bit of. In, in the spring, but uh, too many questions on the offense line. You know, Even though there's four starters returning, there shouldn't be too many questions. There still are way too many questions the
2: offense that line. That tells you all you need to know. There's four starters that are still going like, what's going to happen?
1: <laughs> are those starters even going to be the starting, starters. starting in the same spots at least?
2: Over under 99.5 rushing yards per game. They were at 97, around 97 last year
1: i'll go over okay because i think you'll get a couple of teams that you can run the ball against pretty effectively and i think that'll help boost up the numbers or you get up a bunch and you're able to you know you just sit on the run out the clock so you run the ball a little bit more
2: and if they improve their short yards that's that's a boost
1: true i mean it's a couple extra yards there but it's an extra set of downs and then you run it on first down for three more yards and suddenly your your you're third and one that you lost two yards on now you've gained six yards, so you know, those things can can quickly add up. What was the number they talked about wanting last year? You know, after seeing LSU and Alabama you know, how they ran the ball, I think it was like one seventy or something like that one sixty one seventy. The Clay Helton that said that did not that, age well. Did, yeah, it did not. <laughs> it was, that was after the first couple of games. They're like, yeah, this is what we want to average, and they were a little bit below that, and then they ended below one hundred. But I think they'll go over that.
2: Okay. And my final one, which I like, although you might just be like, oh, that's totally over under 1.5 special teams touchdowns over twelve games. I think they'll get two.
1: I think they'll get one in return and one in a block, block, you know, some kind of scoop and score or something uh, there. I'm going to have a little bit of confidence there. I think one of the things that we didn't get to see a big development in was the special teams necessarily. Because of the lack of time that they were able to have still solid though. Yeah, solid, which is all you're asking. <laughs> That's all you're asking. Get everyone on the field and don't make huge mistakes that are gonna cost you. I mean, they weren't outstanding last year. You know, Parker Lewis was okay. He was okay. He was probably good for a freshman, if you want to look at it that way. He, he wasn't great. He didn't come in, you know, make every single field goal. So there's places where they can still improve. For sure. And I think the return game is another one of those. I think that a little bit more time, you know, just having guys out there, you know, having more time to to practice those type things, which you probably cut out a little bit of the special team stuff and, you know, the abbreviated fall camp that you have, the practices where you know, everyone's having the COVID testing, and it just seems like you know, you're know you not taking the extra time to do special teams. So I, I think that, that you'll see some improvements on special teams again
2: this year. Too. 2020 was just the basics. 2021, you get the razzle-dazzle, you get the spices. The
1: question is the returners. If Gary Bryant Jr. is healthy, I think that's a potential there. He can make a special play. Is there someone else that can make that special play? They still don't have the Adoree Jackson who's going to make the play on his own. I don't. Maybe you think Gary Bryant Jr. can do that. I, I still – I'm hesitant to, to put that on him.
2: I'm in on him as a returner. Guy's electric. And I think even if he's not healthy, got like Katie Nixon, who we were kind of like in terms of the offense, didn't really have those big plays. But I think he could be a dynamic returner. He has experience there. Good speed, make guys miss. I think he could be a weapon in the kick return game, especially with Steven Cargon, who was one of your primary kick returners. There's a spot there. I think we'll see him contribute there,
1: but I, I think both of those guys, and at least what I've seen of Gary Bryant, you know, I didn't see him in high school. The games I saw him, he didn't have any kick returns or punt returns for scores. You don't have that Dante Hall, you know, a guy that just makes people miss and creates a touchdown on his own because of how elusive he is. Like that—that was a Dory. A Dory can make guys miss. He could leap over, you know, a Notre Dame kicker on his way down the sideline. I think that they can scheme their way to it, and good blocking, I think they, they, they definitely can return a touchdown. I just don't think that it's going to be a one-man show as far as the touchdown being scored. I, I just haven't seen that yet. and Maybe Gary Bryant, I know you and Gerard both believe he has that in him as a returner, but I haven't seen it yet, so I'm a little bit hesitant to say that, that someone like that, because that type of player can give you multiple return touchdowns in a season themselves.
2: Okay, Shotgun, those are all my over-unders. You got through that well. They are now officially on record. We're on record. We're on record.
1: Oh, oh, geez. That means we're going to come back to this, aren't we? Oh, yes. We'll Uh, probably come back
2: to this after Keaton throws for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns.
1: Hey, that sounds like a fun season to cover.
2: That sounds like a fun season to cover. That That, that, that means I think that means he's in New York. Quite possibly. I think that means he's in New York.
1: And that means USC's playing well, and their offensive line has kept him healthy, which is always something we want to see everyone healthy. But also, for me, taking photos, that means a lot of good photos because there'll be a lot of touchdowns. He's means a lot of good photos, you're right. All right, let's jump into fan questions. We'll run through these a little bit quickly, just because we're around the, the Rel- hour mark. Relatively quickly. Well, a little bit quickly. Uh, Gustavo asked, how many DBs does this team need? I don't know if that's a frustration or a legit question. I read it as frustration. (laughs) Because USC picked up Chris Thompson Jr. out of the transfer portal, another safety. With the addition of Chris Thompson Jr., he wants four down linemen and seven DBs on the field. Chris, how many DBs does this team need? Do you want four down linemen and seven DBs?
2: I don't know if I want seven DBs, but I think you need a good amount of DBs, you know, just going in this pass heavy movement that is college football you're going to have a lot of teams in the Pac-12 that are going to try to throw it on you and I think you need a good depth and selection of defensive backs out there I don't think their depth is great and I think they're trying to improve it with this last class and then obviously bring it in two transfers and you lost a guy in Max Williams that's a key guy you lost I think you need to replace him he was like your guy when you moved to those dime packages a co-starter as we mentioned so I think you need guys like this you need experienced guys like this you have those three freshmen you're bringing along, but I think it helps to have guys who have already been through a year in college, like an Xavier alford Alfred or a Chris Thompson Jr. So I'm not worried about them bringing in more DBs. I think it is going to change a little bit what you see them do in the 2020 recruiting class because you do take that spot up. But it's not like these guys are grad transfers.
0: They yeah.
2: have one year. They have multiple years. So that's, you're essentially taking up a spot in next year's class. So I still think I know they're going to be... Targeting their one big safety target, Zion Branch out of Las Vegas, he's probably the number one target right now to bring in for that for that for the for the defensive backfield. So it does change a little bit what you're doing recruiting wise, but I think you need the the bodies now after after losing a guy like Max.
1: And you need some bodies at cornerback. We'll see, you know, what they look like when they get everybody healthy and then get Sierra Wright and Prophet Brown in there. You know, what's the depth there? Are you going to move some guys? You know, is a guy like Dorian Hewitt back out at cornerback versus safety? You know, do you see some more movement like Kalana McAula moving? You know, moving down to the linebacker spot. You know, is it is the Dante Williams and Craig Nivar show just going to continue to recruit guys and then be like, yeah, we'll just put them in different positions? We'll,
2: we'll figure, we'll, f- we'll find a home for them.
1: So it, it may be four down linemen and seven originally DBs, and now playing a different position. I wouldn't be surprised if some third and long you could put four, four and seven out there. You may see some packages. You know, you could do that for sure with the pass rushers they have and then the, the DBs, as long as those DBs can blitz too, because you want to keep that option as well.
2: Relatively quick shotgun. That was relatively quick.
1: <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Cam said, Do you see Stephen Carr getting drafted? I hope that he can show at Indiana that he's a
2: man ready for the big show. This is like an interesting, it's kind of like an over under. Like drafted, not drafted. I'm going to say drafted. Interesting. I think we know what kind of talent he has. And we've said this, I'm tired of saying this, but the whole back thing, he had the back injury and he's been working his way. I don't even want to say working his way back because he's back, but it's like, it's like he's still trying to find that gear he had as a freshman. I don't think it's ever coming back, but if he could be like 80% of what he was, you know, I think you only get healthier. You could be healthier three years removed from back surgery than you are one year removed from back surgery. So I think we've seen like gradual glimpses of him getting back to that form will he ever I don't think so but I think he has enough where you could showcase himself especially at like a a good program like Indiana that's had a really good season last year and is like
1: (laughs) so funny to hear especially if he goes to a good program like Indiana from one that's really struggled to produce running backs
2: like USC wow
1: that's that's what you just imagine
2: yeah I know I did (laughs) imagine listening to that 10 years ago
1: I mean, just a good program like Indiana. I imagine hearing that two years ago.
2: I still like an up-and-coming <laughs> program. had a good season. But I see what you're saying.
1: No, they're doing a great job. And Stephen Carr is actually the first former five-star to ever enter their program. Interesting. That's crazy to me. I think Dylan's
2: going to change that.
1: It could. Definitely could. Uh, especially if he produces with Stephen Carr to begin with. And then the younger running backs that they have, they were already producing when he was there the first time. Tevin Coleman came from that he put, program. He put
2: dudes out, and I think he's well respected. Obviously, having been in the NFL now for a couple of years with the Kansas City Chiefs, I think he's well respected by people there. And when they come to do those interviews and talk to them, I think if he puts his name on it, like Stephen Carr, I think you'll you'll see him get drafted.
1: Honestly, if Stephen Carr has a big season, I think that's going to be huge for Indiana going forward because yep. for dealing McCullough to to get in the next five star running back or something like that. Yep. So you you present some good points. However, I'm gonna say no, <laughs> I don't think he gets drafted just because it's the the running back position
2: has been so devalued. But, but I think that's wouldn't that make a case for like people want to scoop up. You're not taking them high, but you can get some good running backs later.
1: You can, but you can also get like it seems like you can get a guy in the third round that used to be, you know, a top fifteen guy now. So I think that pushes everything down. So if Stephen Carr going into the season, you're like, maybe he gets drafted and it would be a sixth or seventh rounder. Ten years ago, I think he gets pushed down to be an undrafted free agent. I don't know. I hope for I hope for him to have the best for the best uh, of luck out there. Uh, great kid. Always enjoy talking to him. It's been fun watching him. You know, since his seven on seven days in high school, since like a sophomore. So hoping you know that, that he has success with Dylan McCullough and they they can reunite and and put it together. Michael Castillo, a friend of the pod, said since Chris reps Maryland and shotgun likes baseball caps, what's your favorite Orioles cap logo?
2: I liked the one that has the field and then the classic bird. It's not a cartoon bird. It's like a real-life Oriole with the O's, Orioles in the middle. That's Kyle what Ripken. I like. Kyle Ripkin. Yeah, him. I like that one. That's the one I grew up with.
1: I, I think the I like the cartoon head, actually. So That's the one I, I have. What's wrong with the cartoon head? So I think that's what I would go with. He also asked, what USC jersey number do you find the third most iconic behind 55 and 42? which I thought those was interesting that those are the two numbers that you would say are the most iconic. I think maybe maybe you could go, those are the most iconic that are in usage, but there's also those seven numbers, six and a half, I guess you would say, that are out of service, that are retired because retired. of... Retired,
2: he- air quotes, visual bit, need to get one in.
1: <laughs> They're retired because of the Heisman Trophy winners that USC has.
2: So I think this is kind of like a... Michael wanted us to do, like, a plug for him because, as you know, Rayna Troy does a lot of the number mm-hmm. stuff, and they have this piece where they rank the best number for every one through 100. They can go look and look at all the numbers, so go check that out. But I would probably say five.
1: I mean, how could you not say five? I don't know anyone else that's worn it besides Reggie Bush. It's just
2: Reggie Bush. Like, you think of five, you think of Reggie Bush.
1: But it's still the most... I mean, when you picture a USC jersey now, I think you see number 5. I think that's been the case for over 15 years now. I think if you look at it, you know, you just, like, draw a USC jersey, any kid would put a number 5 on it, like if they were supposed to put a number on there. Now, if you're talking about in-service, we'll say in-service, because the 5 has not been in-service, they've held it, even though his number is not up on the the peristyle currently, uh, which hopefully that comes back. But in-service, I think the number is 2. You've had Robert Woods, you've had a Dory Jackson, Taylor Mays, um, Steve Smith. I mean, there's been a number of terrific players that have worn that in the last 20 years. I don't know if it has the the longevity of some other numbers, but the, the number two has definitely been uh, a classic recently. And Jackson Dart, could he be the next great one to wear number two?
2: He's in a premier position, so he's going to have a chance to raise that stock even more. Yep. So I think two is a great pick especially if we're talking, like, in-service numbers.
1: Number one has been a good number, too. Number one also Mike a good Williams. number. Classic uh, number. Yeah, so there's some good options out there. But uh, I'm a little confused by the question, Michael, just because there's the 20, the 32, the 33, what, 12, a couple other of three, 11, and the five. I think those are the the seven that are up, that should be up on the, the peristyle end. So the number five is definitely the number one, though. B. Miller asks, where does USC stand with JT2 out? Is there a possible chance USC can sign him or does he go to Ohio State? I mean Go ahead, do your plug. To go to the, the Hurt It on the Sidelines podcast, uh, Brendan Huffman, who did actually update me on whether there is a big baby alert. Oh my God. It's something that I asked on this podcast, you know, is there an actual big baby alert for him, you know, when the hospitals
2: get Big babies. You know,
1: a large kid that comes out. Like, they just go ahead and hit up Brendan Huffman and be like, got to let you know. T- class of 2052.
2: Big baby alert.
1: <laughs> um, he said that there is not a big baby alert. However, he does get a big kid alert from a lot of parents, you know, in first or second or third grade. That's something. <laughs>
2: so, <laughs> that's something
1: you can you can go listen to the Herd on the Sideline's podcast and he breaks down exactly where USC is with JT Tuimoloau exactly where Tuimoloau is in his process he is going to take visits he is going to you know, USC, as long as they stay the course, that was the way that he put it. You know, I asked him what USC has to do. He said, stay the course. So you can go get a little bit more details over there. But yes, there is still a possible chance that USC can sign him and they are still in position. So where they stand with him is still in position. Now, I would still not say that they're the front runner. I feel like that that's just because there's been no status change there. I feel like Ohio State's been the front runner until he takes the visits and goes and sees these schools. Then we'll find out a little bit more. JP, which of the 15 fall newcomers, freshmen, and transfers are you excited for? Not named Corey
2: Foreman. I'm also going to say not Michael Trick because we've talked about him a lot. So I'm going to add well, that, that one in. That was yours
1: for sure. So you're, you're just cutting off your choice.
2: And you, in case you were going to pick that one. that
1: was not going to be my choice.
2: Okay, well, I'm just putting it out there. Those are the two, like, headliners for okay. the for the summer. So let's cut both of those out. Do you have yours? I have mine. You can go for it because I don't have mine.
1: <laughs> I've already mentioned mine on the show. Taj Washington. Taj Washington is a guy, I want to see how they use him. Is he as dynamic as I think he can be from watching some of the highlights and stuff? I think he could be a weapon for them.
2: That's a good one. I think I'm going to go a little bit, like, sneakier on this one. I think I'm going to say Joseph Manjack. Oh. Just because Joseph Manjack seems like a... Video game numbers. And, like, sort of like a... An anomaly, like a, like a, like a, not like a ghost, but like an urban legend. Like, I just want to see the man Jack in person. I want to see.
1: Honestly, like, you look at his numbers, you look at his attributes, and you feel like he's a creative player.
2: Right. I don't think he's real. I just, (laughs) I I mainly just want to see him because I don't think he's real. I want to see this, this, what, like six foot four, six foot three pogo stick Mm -hmm. number versatile dude i just want to see him up close up up close in person i just want to see what he looks like in this offense and they need some more size on the outside so i think he could bring that so i'm excited to see man jack i know he's not the highest rated of this class but i think he's an intriguing guy that they pulled out of texas so i'm gonna go with the man jack
1: if i was picking a freshman i would pick prophet brown 'Cause he's a guy that I haven't seen. I think that's part of the intrigue for you with Man Jack, is we haven't seen these guys in person to, you know, get a, a full assessment ourselves. But I want to see what Profit Brown is is as a cornerback, a guy that we had, you know, listed as a running back throughout True. pretty much his entire tenure in in the database until you know, he committed to USC and they were like, you no, know, he's coming in as a DB. So I want to see what he looks like initially and what he looks like after fall camp after Dante gets his hands on him a little bit. So I think that's a, an interesting one for, one for me, too. Can he get in that mix? Is Sierra right in that mix at cornerback? Keeley, coming to you from uh, the frozen tundra of Hawaii. I don't know why we couldn't just do the show live in Hawaii, but someone didn't invite us, so that's why Keely. She doesn't get
2: service on the beach.
1: Oh, that's why she was uh, not on the show this week. With a
2: Mai Tai in her hand.
1: I could use one of those. What was your first impression of each other?
2: Interesting. (laughs) She has stolen this question from me, so I do not appreciate that, but, and this, this question has the ability to go deep And get those thoughts out there. But I'm going to keep it short. I thought Shotgun is very intimidating. Ooh. Just because Shotgun... It comes off as very, like, confident. He knows what he's saying. He knows what he's asking. He stands there with authority. So he is sort of like an intimidating figure. And he's extroverted i would say he's extroverted he can talk to anyone he can have a conversation with anyone i am not like that i'm the i'm introverted he's the opposite of me in that sense so people like that intimidate me on initial meeting because they have this ability to be dropped into any situation and thrive and like control a room i was we when we road trip to Arizona, we got an Airbnb and there was a party going on because we stayed in the back half of this <laughs> dual house. And these people, these were like college kids from a local Christian school, which is just a wild story in itself. But they invited us to the party and we went to the party afterward. And then Shotgun was like randomly holding court with these people asking him wisdom and advice <laughs> about like dating and stuff and just making friends and being the man on campus and he was doing it like he would like he was doing it like they paid him to come here and do this like they found him on <laughs> craigslist or something to like and he was just holding court by the pool and then we watched a man almost kill himself by trying to do a backflip <laughs> to impress somebody and he just totally biffed it oh, just like did oh, not connect plant. did not connect
1: oh my god sta- I, thought, I thought there was gonna be an ambulance
2: standing back tuck no drake jackson there was no drake jackson there that night this man totally over flipped it hit his face super hard on the ground and it was just that's what i remember by that <laughs> night and that's how i would describe shotgun just someone who can be dropped into a party and just command a room so intimidating is my first thing but now we're helium boys so that's where it's at helium i don't want helium boys for life i did not want to get into that big of a thing but that's that's the that's where my <laughs> answer took me
1: <laughs> I, I think the number one advice I gave that night is never try to do any kind of acrobatics when you've been drinking. I don't know why. I, don't try to do a backflip. If you've had one sip, just be like, yeah, I'll, I'll do one tomorrow.
2: Yeah, sober up. <laughs> not
1: the time to And do I think it. he was
2: trying to impress a girl.
1: I bet her first impression was not a very mm. good one there. My mm. first impression to Chris was like, who is this dude? What? Why is he not coming over to talk to anyone? Is he? Does he actually work for our site or what? What's going on I'm here? I'm like a I don't spider.
2: Understand. I'm more scared of you than you are of me. That's <laughs> how I.
1: Because technically, Chris works for 24 uh, 7. We technically work for Ryan. I'm a
2: stepchild.
1: Yeah. So that's part of the reason why he's a cousin of the pod. I was like, does this guy work with us? Is he just going to be off doing his own thing? That was kind of my first impression. Like, what is, what is going on here? But helium boys for life. There burr, we burr, go. Burr, burr, burr. Burr, burr, burr. And then our final question comes from Jay. Outside of Jarvis
2: Jones, who
1: was the last transfer out of USC that was a huge loss?
2: I already had mine right off the cuff. I think it's Bubba Bolden, former four star safety, highly regarded out of Bishop Gorman. People were excited about him. And then there was some, I want to say freak. it's not a freak accident, it's like a freak situation just with like being suspended it's and weird. the whole. Yeah title nine deal and it just was like it was a mess basically what it was and then it you know the best way to put it actually it would have been hard for him to come back and join the program after what had happened at usc so it was like better go our separate ways and now he's at miami i think he's balling out i think he's he's got early he decided to come back for another year and i think he's already being projected as a first round potential first round draft pick for next season, although those like the first draft, the first mock drafts after a draft never hold up. So
1: we'll see where he, where take he does that this with like year.
2: Huge grain of salt, but I think he's on the right pack to being mm-hmm. you know a high end draft pick, and I think he would have had a real huge impact here if he was still you know in a Trojan uniform.
1: The reason why I don't think that's the correct answer, okay, is because USC still had some really good safeties right after that. I think you can look at some other positions where they've struggled right after losing a guy. Kerry Angeline pops out to me because USC struggled at the tight end position as far as catching passes being a uh, receiving threat. Daniel Amore Bebe in a similar vein. Now his obviously it was injured, everything else. Um, but I think it goes back a little bit further. I think the true last impact, there's a huge loss, is Malik Jackson. I mean, he's an NFL guy. He's a guy that has gone to the NFL and been a multi-year guy. That's you know a legit dude. Now he left after the sanctions came down, and you know there was free reign that anyone could leave. But I think that's the last really big one that has gone on and had a lot of success. Went to Tennessee, and then you know was you know was really successful with the Broncos. Not I don't remember exactly where he is now, but I think that's the the bigger loss there than a guy like Kerry Angeline or even Bubba Bolton.
2: Okay. I respect your decision. Really going back there.
1: It's not that far
2: back. It's 10 that's, years.
1: Sanctions were 2009. That's far back. It's 12 years, 10 to 12 years, somewhere in there. Chris, we made it through an episode. So I, I need your instant analysis of this episode.
2: I think we made it through an episode. I think it went pretty good, pretty well, pretty smooth. You know, I think there was a little bit of nerve just because we haven't done an official podcast together. I'm shorter than you in terms of speaking. I'm used to maybe having a break, not having to go one-on-one with you, sparring a little bit. But I think it went really, really well. I would love to do another Helium Boys podcast. That's my instant analysis. I think it was a good performance overall. I got my jokes in. I got the laughs in. And I think that's all that really matters.
1: I mean, I think it was a tremendous performance on the recording side. The editing side, on the other hand, we we might struggle a little bit more with. But now we've done both the podcast hosting the podcast. We're gonna I'm gonna have to do the editing afterwards, but also an instant analysis. So, you know, we're just we're taking filling up all the roles. Achilles is absent for right now.
2: I mean, if we're gonna do her roles, maybe she could write 90 stories for me, <laughs> and we'll call it we'll call it even for the month. Or just one that's like 3,000 words from me. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. And there is no take it or leave it just because that's a group thing. I don't like doing that one-on-one. I like okay. doing that all together. But I did have an and one. And one. And one. As I have mentioned several times in this podcast, I love picking shotgun's brain about baseball. And baseball has been
1: very, very good to me.
2: Yes, very, 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 very good to him. But baseball has been in the Twitter sphere recently, particularly about sending a home run on a three-zero count <laughs> and then getting plunked the 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 next day, the next game. So I would love your thoughts on that initially. But I also wanted to ask: Have you ever broken an unwritten rule of baseball, or have you ever had to dish payback for someone breaking an unrule in baseball?
1: Mm, me myself I've thrown at someone before oh at them behind them a little do got on the ball the, the, the ump came out and I said it was a little dew on the ball it was a <laughs> it was middle of an evening in Georgia in the summer so there's no do but that was my response to him but the unwritten rules and you know what's allowed changes a little bit you know I threw at someone after they stared down a home run I'm okay with a bat flip or I'm okay with whatever, but don't stare down the home run and stare at me. Like I just gave you a gift of a home run.
2: Like I gave you a big juicy meatball yeah, over the plate. I don't need you staring at me. Staring yeah. you down or the ball down?
1: Stare they looked at the ball first and saw that it was a no doubt home run and then stared me down. I'm like and I was like tempted to throw my glove at this person. Um and just charged down the first baseline. But I didn't. I didn't.
2: That player's name? Mike Trout. <laughs> <laughs>
1: If it feels my try. I'm like, oh, okay, that happens. <laughs> my biggest deal with this whole situation is that Tony LaRusa is so old school that he was like, yeah, I understand him throwing at him. I don't have a problem with that. I'm like, what? You, they had a three, they had a position player pitching. If you give up on the game and you decide, hey, we're not going to use any of our pitchers anymore, then then the unwritten rules have gone out of the out of the way. It used to be an unwritten rule that you use your actual players. The fans came to see true baseball, not position players throwing 47 miles an hour up there. You play the game to the end. That was part of the unwritten rules. Well, you're breaking one by throwing this position player and having him throw 47 miles an hour. So don't complain when he hits a 3-0 pitch. You know, I'm going to pad my stats if you put a position player in there. That's how it goes. Don't no, Don't throw a guy in there if you don't want me to pad my stats. So, if it's 3 0, it doesn't matter. The biggest one I have an issue with, and the only one I really still kind of bothers me, is bunning to break up a no hitter if it's not a close game. If it's a close game, it's a one or two run game. Hey, you're trying to get a run on, you're trying to get whatever. But if it's eight or nine runs, you know, and you're bunning, that one I'm like, dude, really? And the other one is just stealing bases if you're up a bunch of runs. Like, let's just calm down with the whole base stealing thing. I also hated it because in college I get a stolen base on a guy on a a pitch out. He was just so fast, I couldn't I couldn't (laughs) do anything.
2: Someone stole home on you? Not home, not home. Oh,
1: but I was like, this guy's about to go. All right, we're going to pitch out. We're going to we're going to get him. Nope, no chance. Still,
2: he's just too fast. Too fast makes fast people look not fast. Exactly. But you didn't get thrown out for throwing at the dude. You you're due. I didn't hit the
1: I didn't hit the guy. So I threw. I think I threw over his head or behind his head or something. I threw him well enough away that it wasn't gonna hit him, but it was sending the message. I didn't throw hard enough to be sending messages to begin with. So that's why I didn't just hit the guy because I was like, this isn't gonna hurt anybody. So. Did you
2: did their bench like go, hey, hey, hey?
1: Probably. I don't
2: remember. Fair enough. But that's exactly what I wanted. You have thrown in a person who broke an unwritten rule. That's exactly what I wanted to hear.
1: Sure. Why not?
2: Plunk him in the butt?
1: I see, like I said, I'm not hitting anybody. I can't afford any extra base runners. I'm not good enough. <laughs> and I don't throw hard enough that it's actually going to have an impact. So, like, the whole thing, like, oh, they hit one of our guys, we hit one of them. I'm like, I'm not the guy to hit them. Sorry, guys. Like, we're going to be better off if I just try to get them out.
2: Yeah. Instead of revenge.
1: It's <laughs> like, I might hit them anyways and not be intending to. So, but that's going to wrap it up, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that's it.
1: That's going to wrap it up for the Family Feud podcast, the Helium Boys edition. Thank you so much, Chris Trevino, for joining me on this show. And thanks so much to Keeley for taking the time off to give us this opportunity. To
2: give us this opportunity. I really appreciate it, Keeley.
1: Appreciate it, kills Again, as a reminder, you guys can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Megaphone. Leave us a five-star review. and Tell your friends about the show. Tell us how much you liked us. Also, you can email us questions or submissions to the podcast at familyfewpod at gmail.com for future episodes. Thanks so much for joining us, guys, and we'll see you next time.